right, man, here we go. Welcome back again to the Rest of Us Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Mid-Major. The curtain has dropped on this season, and we have our national champions, don't we? Division 1, 2, 3, NAIA. Individual tournaments is happening right now, but from a team perspective, it's done. It's over. It's a wrap on this season. Um, I mean, congrats to all the national champions out there. I'll get to them in the results section for sure. There's so much to talk about. I hope I can squeeze it all in and not to get too distracted along the way. Once again, this past weekend was such a great reminder of what a great product we have. It's just such a pity that nobody knows about it since we cannot get it on TV. And when I say TV, I mean the Tennis Channel or ESPN or ESPN2. And then, of course, it doesn't help if we can't get the basics right, like match times, online scoring was awful, playable courts, seems like the courts acted up. Now I know shit happens, but this had to feel that there was no contingency plan in place. Um, thank God for the cracked rackets coverage. Absolutely loved their NFL red zone coverage of the matches. Superb job by Cracked Rackets. I might be mistaken, but the only match on TV was a women's final, and they didn't even play that from the beginning because a final of a WTA tournament final in Rome was going on, so missed the first part of that. The commentators, Patrick McEnroe and whomever else was on there, I mean, they were awful, weren't they? They were boring, they were stale, they had a lack of preparation. Um, they only showed one court at a time, Tennis Channel. They could not capture the excitement and the momentum swings within the match. I mean, if we do get it on TV one day, hopefully we'll let Cracked Rackets do it. Let them run that Red Zone-style coverage. They kind of got it down to a T, don't they? More importantly, they have the passion for college tennis, unlike the Tennis Channel crew. They know the product, the Cracked Rackets guys. They know the players. They know the history of previous matchups that they can use as reference points with their commentating. Come on, ITA, or whoever is in charge, get our sport on TV. Once on TV, then it's not even a close call. I cannot believe nobody saw the excitement of this past weekend's action. Instead, on ESPN and ESPN2, they had softball regional play. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I'd rather watch paint drive than watch that. But enough of that. Before I get too worked up, let's get things rolling with tonight's episode. News and a topic that interests me, and a topic more so tonight, it's a reminder of how careful we have to be as coaches, and it's not worth taking certain risks. But some news, transfer portal news, or rather an update. Obi-Wan Kajuru, Ohio State, uh, sorry, Iowa State. She is going to Oklahoma State. Great pickup for Oklahoma State. They have that long history of Japanese players. I'm sure they got in contact with Obi-Wan. Um, but but 
That's the first Kraken armor for Iowa State. That's a big loss. But she'll be over there with Oklahoma State. Next one, Alina Sherbina from Baylor. She's going to Oklahoma. That is painful for the Bears. Not just losing the number one player, but losing it to a conference rival. Or I think it's a conference rival for one more year. I hate that rule. I think if you're transferring, you can go anywhere but in your conference. But that's a rule. Um, a correction from last week. I said that Urita from Kentucky was going to Washington. Don't know why I said that. I could swear I read it somewhere. But she is going to Oklahoma. So two great pickups for Oklahoma. Reloading. I think they're losing a couple of players, don't they? They're losing Sleeve and the Corman sisters or um, and maybe one Pisareva. But they're reloading through the portal, no doubt about it. A um, couple of big hitters entering the portal last couple of days. And I had to take a second look at this. Nicole Karen from Texas. I was like, damn, that's a number one player. I thought maybe it was a number five player because they got two girls by the name of Nicole. But that's a number one player, freshman. She had a great year. Man, I wonder why she's leaving. It must be a clash of personalities because, I mean, that's Texas, isn't it? Where do you go from, from there? Uh, another one, Anna, and I don't know how to say her last name, Katana Zarit from UCLA. She played number three for UCLA this last year, blue chip recruit, played number three in the lineup. She's in the portal as well. I might have missed a couple of ones, but those are the ones that popped off the page for me. I haven't seen any news yet about where Komar is going. It seems like she's going to have um, uh, the pick of a litter over there in the transfer portal. So it will be really interesting to see where she goes. And also Sasnaskoyava from ODU. Saw so she just had a huge win at the NCAA tournament yesterday. Um, with this transfer portal, my question is, can these top teams win a national championship by copy and pasting a team together? I don't think so. Yes, of course, the top teams can portal a top 10, 15 team. But I truly believe at that level, you know, the elite level, growing as a team with a coach developing players with some form of continuity will be the difference maker. And that's just my two cents. I mean, on a side note, how tough is that for um, Joffy at Texas? If he could just keep together, kept Caitlin Collins, kept this Nicole Karen girl, I mean, they could have set themselves up for another championship run here in the next year or two. But I just think it's difficult without having continuity, how you can put the pieces together. Uh, shift gears a little bit over here, some coaching news. Um, that ties into my topic, or not really a topic, but more a reminder of what a fine line as coaches have to walk in today's climate. I stumbled across an article this week where I saw that Ball State coach Max, Max Norris was fired last week. Apparently, he was placed on administrative leave on February 27th. Then after an internal review, he was canned last week. Even more remarkable for Ball State to have won the conference tournament um, with 
all that adversity. Story gets a little bit weirder. The grad assistant took over as the interim in February, but in April was let go or stepped down due to visa complications. I mean, what is that all about? I know everything about visas, but I've never heard of a graduate assistant having visa complications in the middle of a school year. Um, but after that, middle of April, one of the players' dads took over for the rest of the season, ended up winning conference, all of this according to an article in the local paper. All right, guys, now, I don't know Max Norris personally, but clearly he was having great success over there at Ball State, as mentioned in earlier podcasts, and building a dynasty over there. The Ball State statement with regards to his firing said, the university concluded that Mr. Norris, um, Mr. Norris's conduct and coaching primarily during the 2022 season posed a serious risk to the health and safety of our student-athletes. They then listed four specific findings. Let me just find it over here and summarize it. Number one, um, exceeded NCAA permissible daily and weekly hour limitations. So I guess practice more than 20 hours a week or more than three hours a day. Violated rules with regards to NCAA voluntarily athletically related activities. Uh, That's probably applicable to the eight-hour week outside of season. Um, Number three, violated NCAA rules and guidelines regarding the authority of sports medicine staff. I guess he wasn't listening to the um, training staff, sports medicine staff. And then number four, Morris, uh, sorry, Norris failed to promptly follow the university concussion management plan. Um, There was also a statement, I'm going to read that verbatim, the record also added that Norris's termination was also due to to the review of reliable reports regarding unsafe driving practices and overall poor management of injuries. I don't know what unsafe driving practices means, um, but that was one of the charges over there. Damn, that's a mouthful. Whatever happened there, happened. Um, the way these things usually works, it's kind of on a continuum, isn't it? You know, And I'm not speaking about Ball State, but just in general. On one extreme, you have a rogue actor, a coach. Or on the other extreme, you have a bunch of locker room lawyers, or players that form a rebellion. You know, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle on one of those two sides. Who knows what happened at Ball State? And to be honest, that's not my concern. My concern is if is if you in these day in this day and age don't understand number three and four, you know, meaning you know the guidelines regarding the authority of the sports medicine staff, and if you don't take proper care of injuries, then it's just plain and simple stupidity, and you need and you need to be fired. We discussed we discussed on an earlier episode injuries in detail and how frustrating it is to be at the mercy of athletic trainers. But in this day and age, man, it is what it is. Uh, hopefully you don't have players that gain the system. Um, the bottom line is 
as we once again saw with Ball State, coaches, you have to remove yourself from this process, the injury process. It is not worth it. Put that in the hand of the athletic training staff. Once again, it is frustrating. It's a fine line between you know, toughing it out a little bit and being injured, but it's a no-win situation. Administrators, um, the suits, whenever it looks like or there is a question how you handle injuries, you will come up short as a coach. The first two findings that deal with practice limit, limitations, etc., unfortunately is in place or fortunately is in place to protect players from rogue actors and uh, coaches and a byproduct is that players have a lot of input and power and if if they want to do extra work or if they want to enjoy voluntarily practice volunteer practice if you if you if, if you as a coach don't understand this current climate then you probably will get fired, or you're going to get fired. Now, once again, just speaking out loud, um, there is no ways that the top programs and the top players let the NCAA practice limitation shorten their practice weeks out of season, and even during season. But then again, these top players, these top programs, are probably highly motivated individuals with that internal drive. Sometimes players at the mid-major level, they're a little bit slower to connect those dots between practice and performance. And then, you know, they might not have that internal drive that the top players have. The bottom line is, as much as it sucks, you cannot force players anymore to do volunteer outside NCAA practice. Um, <laughs> um, sometimes you get one or two players who keep things ticking over. Doesn't matter if it's in season or out of season. Yeah, but majority of the players they're going to relax a little bit and take some time off. Um, I always joke with my assistants. Um, sometimes players they might not understand how to roll across court forehand to set up the down the line. But I can bet you they know the practice limitations, NCAA practice rules on limitations out there. Uh, but once again, it is what it is. On a serious note, on on a serious note, I mean I don't know what happened there at Ball State. All I know is they don't pay us enough to take risks with regards to player injury and pushing the envelope with regards to NCAA practice limitations. You never know when there's a locker room lawyer on your team and where they're going to turn on you. Just not worth the risk to put yourself in that situation. Damn, that topic got all serious, wasn't it? You know, and, and I'll just repeat, who knows what happened there at Ball State? I mean, the coach might have been a wild man. It might have been the players who turned on him. Um, you know, bo- bottom line is, you know, in this day and age, Rather be careful, or we should rather be careful and put ourselves in these tough situations. Let's shift gears a little bit over here and get into the good stuff. Because plenty of good stuff, because we had our national champions crowned this past weekend. 
Let's work our way through the four divisions, starting off with North Carolina defeating NC State 4-1. What a match, man. Before I get to that, um, what a three, four, five days of tennis with the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. I mean, they did our sport some serious good over there. As a tennis fan, I was looking at it from a tennis fan perspective. Watching it was such a great reminder once again of what a great product we have. The quality of play was off the charts in my in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of pro level play out there. Um, the momentum shifts and entertainment was off the charts. It was rowdy with the players and the fans yapping back and forth. Overall, just great stuff. And that was all the matches that were being played over there. But back to the final, congrats to North Carolina. I mean, I know I'm a mid-major homer, um, but I appreciate good tennis and a job well done. They finally got over the hump. Great job, North Carolina coaches. There was no stacking going on. I mean, you can't accuse North Carolina of stacking. The quality of the players and all of them have winning records. But rather... Those coaches got the matchups they wanted. Um, they felt they needed to change some matchups after NC State whipped them at the ACC Conference Finals. After that, for this upcoming tournament, they switched their doubles up, all three teams, and they aggressively went after doubles number two and three. They switched up their one and two to aggressively go after number two. They then had different matchups at 4 and 5 compared to last time. And they had a girl named Forbes in at number 4 as a decoy, but they pulled her out most of the time. They set it all up, but then the players stepped up and made it count. I still think in this matchup that NC State is better than North Carolina. Just from a matchup standpoint, NC State matches up well with North Carolina. But North Carolina won all the little battles in order to win that championship. The doubles was huge, no doubt about it. You know, NC State with the doubles was going to be hard to beat. It was a momentum point. Um, they got the doubles point winning number two and three, like they set it up. I feel like number one and two was somewhat predictable. NC State was going to win one. North Carolina most likely was going to win number two with Crawley over there. The fact that North Carolina at 5 and 6 made those comebacks and stayed on court was huge. They kept those points out there and kept it in play. Then at number 4, Scotty, Elizabeth Scotty, saving set points in a first set, down 6-3 in the tiebreaker and winning that set was where it all changed in my opinion. You know, momentum completely shifted over there and NC State could not get it back. Um, the icing on top was North Carolina winning at number three because honestly, I think North Carolina State's number three is damn good. I think that's a potential pro player in the future. Kind of a poor man's Mugarufa, you know, with that serve and that forehand. just such a big game. And to be honest, I had NC State winning that match at number three. So good job for North Carolina winning that. 
Um, in all in all, in summary, a great job. And well played, North Carolina. You guys are deserving champs. Division 2. Barry defeating Nova Southeastern 4-1. That's a 28-0 season for Barry. Damn. Uh, looks like that is six national championships in a row for Coach Avi Kigel. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, great season for Nova Southeastern. I think it's the first time they've played in the final. Um, I looked up their lineup and their roster and saw that Carolina Snitter played at number four. I'll tell you what, though. That brought back some bad memories. Um, when... She beat my team in the conference final, or the team she was playing on beat my team in the conference final in 2017-18-4-3 with her being the last match on court. Damn, that was a painful loss. I'll never forget that name, Carolina Snitter. Feels like I have plenty of those scars or bad losses or tough losses in my past. But um, great season for Nova Southeastern. Division 3, Claremont Mud Scripps defeating Chicago 5-3. That's a 27-1 season for them. Their only loss came to Chicago at National Indoors, so some nice revenge. Back-to-back <coughs> back back championships for Claremont. Congratulations, Coach David Swatch definitely has found his niche in Division 3. He was actually the head coach at Brown from 2010 to 2014. I actually remember playing them back in the day, and we actually beat them. So I'm 1-0 against a Division Three national champion coach. NAIA, last but not least, Georgia Gwinnett over Kaiser University 4-1. Also revenge for Georgia Gwinnett after losing to Kaiser at National Indoors. The dominance, the dynasty is still alive at Georgia Gwinnett. That's the first national championship for Coach Hannah Keeling, the ex-Georgia state coach. I've got a win over her as well. Beat her last year. So I'm 1-0 against the NAIA national champions. So Coach Mid-Major is 1-0 against the NIA national champion coach. And 1-0 against the Division 3 national champion coach. Have not played the Division 2 national coach. Actually, 0-1 against Brian Kalbas. Never played them at North Carolina. Never will. Um, but actually, earlier in my coaching days, when Coach Kalbas was at William & Mary, his last year over there, 2002, played them at the national championships um, still remember that uh, William and Mary had some great teams back in the day. I actually think they made it to the quarterfinals that year. We played them first or second round. Um, I stacked the living daylights out of the doubles. We won the doubles and then they whipped us good in singles. But uh, that's a little side note for you over there. In summary, once again, congrats to all the national championship teams. That is one hell of an accomplishment. And these coaches are at the top of their profession. Well done, well played. Let's go ahead and wrap things up for this week. Um, I'm going to crank out 
one more episode next week. That will be episode 20. In order to wrap up the individual national championship tournament and possible coaching news and portal news, I think it will be a busy week on that front. I will then shift to getting some guests on in the next couple of weeks and hopefully provide some interesting content during the long summer months. months. As always, I'll post this episode on Twitter at Coach Midmajor, Instagram at The Rest of Us Tennis. It will be on Spotify under The Rest of Us Tennis Podcast. You can always email me at therestofustennis at yahoo.com or just direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Let me know what you think or anything interesting that I missed or even if you just want to mouth off to me. I will not take it personal. I promise you that. Uh, Until next week, hope you check in next week. Over and out.